As this episode deals with topics like food, body image, and eating disorders, listener discretion is advised. Do you wish your ass were smaller? I know I do. I wish so many things about myself were smaller. Or bigger, I guess, depending on what you're talking about. (laughs) Do you wish that the mean girl would go away? And I'm not talking about the one from grade school. I'm talking about the one in your own head. The one who's constantly putting you down. Why? Why? Why is she there? And why is she so mean? Welcome to the Stuff Up Podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others. So, I'm super excited for this episode as I speak with author Julie Glynn. Julie wrote the book called, If My Ass Were Smaller, Life Would Be Perfect, and Other Lies the Mean Girl in Your Head Tells You. Yeah, isn't that an amazing title? I thought so. Here's my wonderful discussion with Julie Glynn. Oh my goodness, you have so many roles. <laughs> you are intuitive coach, intuitive eating coach. Yes. You're an author. Yes. You were a teacher. I was. At one point, right? Yes. How many roles do you have? <laughs> you right do now, a lot. Right now, just two. Right now, I'm just the author and the anti-diet coach, intuitive eating counselor combo. Amazing. And you wrote a book, and it's a really amazing long title. (laughs) If my ass were smaller, life would be perfect. And other lies the mean girl in your head tells you. Yes. Wow. Even the title makes me go, yes. Yes, Julie. Thank you. (laughs) So can you tell tell us about your book? My book is about, it's, it's got a lot of little components in it. Um, it's, a, it's got, it's primarily, it's anti-diet, intuitive eating, straight up. Um, and then it talks about how our mean girl sabotages us, how she tells us things, we believe her. Um, but, and then I also have um, weaved throughout the book, the like thought processes, how our thoughts control our feelings, our actions, and our results. So they're all woven together into one book. Yes. Uh, and you, so what was it that started you on this journey? What made you want to write this book? What made me want to write the most is, and then I'll get thing you mentioned, I was a teacher because it goes back. Um, when I taught, there was kind of like a standard procedure that when you give the whole group instruction and you set the kids off to do their work and one kid raises their hand and they're stuck like on number three, you help them with number three. Then another kid comes up, raise their hand. They're stuck on number three. Another kid, they're stuck on number three. Another kid. You don't go around one by one by one and help them understand how they're supposed to solve the problem for number three, you bring the whole group back together and you say, hey, let's go over the instruction again. Let's use number three as an example, because that's where we're getting uh, getting a snag and a little struggle. 
same thing was coming up with my coaching was like, I'm talking to people about their issues. The same stuff is coming up over and over and over. And it's like, you know what? Let's just put this into a book. Mm -hmm. So everybody can read the book. And then when I work with them, it's like, okay, we'll remember in chapter seven when we talked about this. Okay, how can we apply that to what you're feeling right now? And so it helped me put my message out quickly and easily to a lot of people. And then the Mm -hmm. other reason that I did it, that I wanted to write a book, is that, again, it goes back to my teaching experience. I was able to establish relationships with my students because they had to spend time with me. Um, They were in school. They had to be there. They had to deal with me. They had to talk to me, listen to me, be with me. And we established relationships. And once we established our relationship, I mean, they would do anything. Um, But with coaching, I can't really... It couldn't really do that. I had a limited amount of time during our sessions. It wasn't time for me to say, oh, yeah, I get that because of this, or I get that because of my experience. In my book, people get to know me. They get to know me really well because I peel back the curtain and I share my own struggles and vulnerabilities. And after they read it, you know, either you love me or you hate me. I can't imagine anyone hating you after reading this book. I, okay, so I I read the book and I am so glad I did. Julie, you have no idea what reading your book has meant to me. Awesome. And I'm actually working with a life coach and we've been talking about some of these issues. Mm-hmm. So I was texting him last night. I was like, Oh my word, look what I read in this book. (laughs) And I said, wait, this is what you were telling me. And he goes, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I said, you know, it's funny because you hear it from one person. And then if you hear from another person, but they say a little bit differently, then some, they both come together and you're like, oh, I get it now. Mm Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just feel like you know me so well. And so you write. Darlene is the character in the book, and she basically encompasses all of us. She does. I created Darlene for a couple of reasons. Um, One of the biggest reasons was that a lot of times when we get faced with something that we do, um, even though we may know that it's not the right thing to do or it's not in our best interest, we own it and we get defensive. And I didn't want that to happen to any of my readers. I didn't want them to be like, you know, I didn't want to say like, well, you know, if sometimes you eat too much birthday cake or in my, in my book, I talked about eating wedding cake, for example. And I didn't want to say, oh, if you eat, you know, two pieces of wedding cake after you've had the big dinner, I didn't want people to feel like I've done that. I got to defend it. I wanted them to feel like this is kind of a neutral thing. People do it. So I couldn't put myself in that position and be like, well, sometimes I do this. If I gave, if I gave everything I gave to Darlene to myself, I would, people would be like, she's a mess. <laughs> so I gave it to Darlene. Darlene does this. And people are like, oh, yeah, so do I. But they don't feel defensive about it. They don't feel attacked. They just feel like, I did that, and Darlene did that. Oh, and Darlene did that, and I did that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. You you have this way of connecting with the readers. And what I appreciate about Darlene 
I, I totally identified with her. Like she, she talks to herself, like I'm, I'm fat and ugly. Uh, she puts herself down. She's trying to change who she is for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand all those things. (laughs) It is crazy. And so one thing I also loved about the book is you talk about the mean girl. So at first I thought, oh, yeah, the mean girl who talks to us because I've had mean girls, you know, make fun of me for whatever. Mm-hmm. But you're you're talking about the mean girl in our own head. Yes. Who is like destroying us. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about her? Well, I think we all have one. And like I said in my book, she was created based on years of programming of what she's heard. Like you said, the external mean girl, she hears how people have spoken to us or trained us throughout our lifetime. And then she just grabs onto that and plays it back over for us over and over again. A lot of it. And like I said, in my book too, a lot of it is like, you know, the way we were raised, um, you know, the do this or do that, you know, do yeah, pick up your toys or I'm going to throw them away. Um, do this or you'll be sorry. And she just mimics yeah. all of that right back at us. Every single thing that we've ever heard or doubted or feared she brings it right back up to us and reminds us that could happen again. This is what happened before. You should just, you know, stay home, stay safe. Don't, don't take a risk. Um, That's where you're going to, you know, that's where you're going to be most vulnerable and maybe experience some pain. And she doesn't want that. Of course she inflicts it herself, but she doesn't want any, it's kind of like a sibling. It's like, you know, I can fight with my (laughs) siblings, but the minute somebody else says something bad about them, then, you know, then I'm against them. And she's kind of the same way. Right. Well, and and you know, you and I were talking before about this, where you said, you know, if you're, if you're feeling insecure one day and you're at the grocery store and somebody just looks at you and you take that person like, oh, I, I look terrible. They they're thinking I look stupid. I look fat or I look awful. And you're putting that mean girl in your head for that other person who's probably just looked at you and didn't even see you really, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yes. And that's our own insecurity. You know, and I was thinking about that since you and I talked about it last time. And it was like, depending on how we're feeling is what we put into the heads of other people. Um, And like, for example, it's like, you know, I mean, nobody walks down the street with their brand new baby in the carriage and someone walks by and looks at their baby and they think, oh my gosh, that person thinks my baby's fat and ugly. Nobody thinks (laughs) that because we don't think that about our baby. (laughs) We see our, you know, we think our baby's adorable and loving and, you know, perfect. And when somebody sees it, we're like, Oh yeah, see, they just looked at my baby and they noticed how beautiful my baby is because that's what we think. But then when we have the negative thought, like we go out and we feel like, you know, insecure or like, like we just don't feel like we look good because we were, you know, we're focused on our flaws. Then we go out in public and somebody looks at us and we think, oh yeah, they noticed all those flaws that I pointed out to myself this morning before I left. And now they all see it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because I, I did a podcast with um, a life coach named Angel, and we were talking about anxiety. And I said, you know, there was a point in my life 
where even crossing the street, I was anxious because I was thinking the cars are stopped. They probably hate me because I'm making them wait at the light because I'm crossing the street. (laughs) And they're probably saying, oh, look at her. She's so fat. She's so ugly. And so I can totally understand (laughs) having projecting that onto other people, what I'm feeling myself. And I'm like, they're probably just not even like, they're just like, oh, well, somebody's crossing, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Now take that same situation and you're a bride walking down the aisle to your groom. Are you thinking that any of those people sitting in the church or sitting in wherever you're getting married, looking at you are saying, oh my gosh, she's fat and ugly. And she's walking down that aisle. We have a totally different opinion of ourselves during that time. And we think everybody thinks I'm beautiful. I'm the bride. This is my day. So yeah, it's like we make up the stuff in our head and then we give it to somebody else to push back onto us. And then we feel like crap about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, and it's fun. I, I don't know about you, but For me, I always, because we grew up in that environment where women are supposed to look a certain way and on TV, you know, the men are like, oh, well, she's not hot. And so I always took that and said, well, no man will ever want me because I'm not skinny like Hollywood women. And um, so I, but I remember hearing this story about this couple And the woman, I think they had just gotten married and they were on their honeymoon and she was looking at herself in the mirror and she goes, oh, oh, I got these tummy rolls and I got this and I got that. And he was like actually getting upset because he's like, you are putting down the woman I just married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for him to wrap himself around her and he said, I want you to look at yourself through my eyes. I see you as this amazing, gorgeous woman. And I remember thinking that like men are like this because I had... I didn't think men were like that at all. And I was like, oh, I want a man like that, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting. You actually oh, so you were bleh, sorry. <laughs> I can edit stuff. This is fun. In your book, you mentioned, and I love this, you said you have value. And it's not based on your weight, on any on how much money, how many friends you have, on how many degrees, education you have. Because you you have two, is it two master's degrees you have or two I, bachelor's? I have two master's degrees. Two master's, right. Yeah. And I rem- I was actually just talking to my friend last night about this because I said, you know, I went to school and I didn't finish. I went back to school and I didn't finish. And I remember living with some girls who they were like bragging about how many degrees they had. And then the one said something about me and she goes, you graduate. I'm like, and then my other roommate was like, she didn't graduate. Like she was all mad because she didn't like me. And it was like, but why is this so important to you Mm -hmm. that I have a degree? Like I'm okay not finishing university. I mean, I had to stop and I had to go back to work. I'm okay with that. But it's kind of sad how we do that. We put value on other people based on these things. Right. Right. And it's, it's, in my mind, it's a way that we kind of try to separate ourselves from other people. And I think that when people do that, even when we do that for ourselves, I think it's still based on insecurity that I still don't feel very good about myself, but Hey, at least I'm better than that person because I finished my program. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's like, like I said in my book, 
those aren't the ways that we determine whether or not a person has value. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you can be a really nasty person. There's a lot of them out there, really super nasty people that have accomplished a lot of stuff in their life. But that doesn't make them better than somebody who, you know, wears their heart on their sleeve and just helps people and is genuinely caring and compassionate for other people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and that spoke to me as well as a person who my whole life, I, because I struggled with my weight, I would look at myself like, well, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of having a good life or something because I put so much on my weight and it's taken a long time to get there. I still struggle. Um, and I think probably we always will, right? That's something we're always going to be every constantly having to work on. <laughs> everyone does everyone. I met this girl yesterday and we were talking about my book and I was kind of apprehensive at first to, to, you know, share with her my book because she was young and, um, smaller than my body. And I thought, you know, do we, I think we do, but I kind of questioned, do we, we share the same issues, right? I'm kind of thinking in my head and I talked to her about my book and she goes, Oh my gosh. She says, you know, I look back at old pictures of myself and she's like, I was so small and I think, I can't believe I thought I was fat back then. And then I was (laughs) like, the lights come on. I'm like, it happens to all of us. It doesn't matter what size we are. As women, I think we all have that issue. We look in the mirror and we're like, ooh, I wish this was different. Or, you know, I used to, or, you know, I, I could change something here about myself. I wish I could. And it doesn't matter. We all, we, we just all have it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think as women, because we've always been pitted against each other and I, I would see skinny women. I'm like, oh, I hate them because they're skinny. And then, you know, you get to talking and you become friends and then you find out they struggle with, with self-esteem as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, in that <laughs> chapter, you read about Peyton. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, she's just like, perfect. Everything about then- her is perfect. On the the next door neighbor that moves in beside Darlene. Darlene's neighbor. Yeah. Everything yeah. about her is just like to die for. Perfect. And then Darlene gets to know her and she's like, dang, she's got a lot of things going on in her world that are a little complicated and, and unpleasant. You know, but the thing is, too, that I love about Peyton is she's just as kind and sweet as Darlene is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we do that all the time. And it was women. I mean, yeah, I can't count how many times I've looked at somebody and been like, oh, seriously, she's got to be, you know, (laughs) out of my league, way out of my league. And then I get to know her and it's like, oh, really? We're exactly the same, (laughs) just different body types. Yeah. And that's where we as women need to come together. And I think it's it's happening more and more where we're realizing it. We're not in competition with each other for the men. Like yeah. we've been so focused on, well, we need a man and, you know, you're in my way of getting that one. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to encourage each other, lift each other up and and just be our own 
best friends. And that's like that girl I talked to yesterday, you know, after we got to talking, it was like, you know, she has the same exact struggles with her body as I do with mine. Our bodies both look very differently, but internally we have the same exact thoughts and feelings and struggles with each other. And it's Mm -hmm. like, then let's band together and support one another. Definitely. There is, there's one, you also mentioned the billion dollar weight loss industry. (laughs) Did I, did I mention that a couple of times? (laughs) (laughs) And oh my, have I been through so many diets. Uh, And it's funny because I, I, you, you said, yeah, you go to the gym, you go to the trainer and you like, oh, well, I want Britney Spears belly and, you know, JLo's butt or whomever. Yeah. But we are who we are. And yeah, you know, we can we can work toward being healthier, uh, but your body type is not going to be the same as other women that you might want to look like. And we have to accept that and love ourselves for who we are. And that was such a great, I loved reading that. It was such a great message. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, you know, all, all of the hours and hours in the gym. Like I like I used the example with Darlene. You know, she can spend every minute of the rest of her life in the gym. She's never going to have Julia Roberts legs. Julia yeah. Roberts legs are 6 inches longer than hers, <laughs> you know? It's like it's not going to happen. But we get into this idea and then that's the 60 billion dollar weight loss industry. They feed us that idea. Well, if you just work harder, you know, keep your eye on the prize, you know, no pain, no gain. And they sell us on that, but it's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're never going to accomplish it. You can never change the natural structure of your body based on the genetics that it was used to create. And they shame us too. Like sometimes it's subtly, but you're like, oh, yeah, they want me to be a specific way and I'm not that way, but I have to get that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's like your hip spread is going to be what your hip spread is because it's based on your genetics, your height, the the width of your feet, you know, it's, and the funny thing is too, is like, and I noticed this when I watch TV, a perfect example is um, Grey's Anatomy. Um, <laughs> the two characters there, Teddy and um, Amelia. Amelia has a wide head and Teddy has a long and narrow head and both of their bodies are in tune with that shape. Teddy's long and narrow and Amelia is shorter and wider. And it's like, that's just how it's going to be. You know, it's the natural shape of your body. All the work in the world, you're not going to change it. Amelia will never look like Teddy. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, Like you said, yeah, they shame you. Then they make you feel like, well, gosh, if I would have just tried harder, if I would have gone to the gym a couple more times, if I just hadn't eaten any food, then, you know, I could have changed all of this. And, you you know, there's a line, it's in the beginning of your book, I think maybe even, even in the introduction or a paragraph, sorry, you say the important thing to understand about this loop Mm-hmm. that we go through is the progression. Things that happen in our lives don't directly impact our feelings or our behavior. It's what we think about what's happening that creates the feeling that leads to our behavior. Exactly. And that was like, 
Whoa. Cause, and it's, it's what, how we think about ourselves and how we think about food, mm-hmm. our relationship with food. And like you said, uh, I'll, I'll eat something like a piece of cake or whatever. And then I feel so shame. Like I shame myself. I'm like, I shouldn't have eaten that. You're bad. That's bad. And that makes it worse. Cause then I go to emotional eating and I'll eat my feelings. Right. So can you, I love how you, you kind of went through that in the book, but is this part of intuitive eating? Um, yes. Part of intuitive eating is that we don't label food. We don't label food good or bad. Food is food. It's neutral. It's an external circumstance. It's food. But then we attach a, a thought that it's good or bad. And then that, that goes through the progression. Okay. Now it affects my feelings. Now it's going to affect my actions. Now it's going to affect the results I have all because I ate some food, you know? And it's like, I gave a couple of examples in the book how one external situation can impact two people differently. So like with the example with the cake is, you know, somebody might eat cake and then beat themselves up because they've labeled it as bad. They've attached a negative thought to eating cake. Eating cake on its own has no, has, has no meaning. Someone ate cake. It's not neutral. I mean, it's not negative. It's not positive. It's just a neutral fact. Someone ate cake. So one person attaches a negative thing to it. I shouldn't have ate that. It has sugar in it. Sugar is bad. I'm bad. Now I'm not going to eat dinner tonight. And now I'm going to, my body's going to start going into like a famine mode. I'm going to be starving tomorrow morning. I'm going to be like out of control and eating, you know, whatever. That's, that's an example of what might happen when you attach a negative. Or if you attach a positive, again, going back to the wedding, it's my wedding. I ate cake. Yay. This is a happy time. I spent two years planning for this. And part of this cake was the plan. And I spent a ton of money on it. And this was amazing cake. And, you know, you just go on and have a great time. Doesn't affect your actions negatively. And it doesn't affect your results negatively. Mm -hmm. And, And that's some, it's unfortunate that somehow, as a society, we got into this into this habit of labeling foods and then creating feelings about it. Um, and I think when you and I spoke before, we talked about like humans are the only only species that do this. I mean, you never see a dog eat. You know, my dog will come in and, and find an old cupcake wrapper in my garbage can in my office, strew my garbage all over the floor. She doesn't feel bad about it. She doesn't be like, well, I shouldn't eat dinner tonight because I ate that cupcake wrapper. It wasn't even food. It was paper. You know, <laughs> she doesn't, she isn't like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go for, uh, I'm going to take a longer walk today. I'm going to run on my walk because I ate that cupcake paper. She doesn't care. She ate it. She's fine. She still eats her dinner just like she always does. She still goes on the same walk. She doesn't feel any regret about it. But humans were like, oh, I ate cake. I'm going to have to either not eat later or, you know, do a certain amount of exercise or, you know, I have to pay a penance because I ate cake. It's food. That's all. Mm-hmm. It's just food. You know what that reminds me of? Did you, did you ever watch Seinfeld? Yeah. Do you remember when George ate the eclair that was oh, sitting yeah, on top yeah. of the garbage? <laughs> <laughs> no, George didn't care. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
It's food. It's just food. <laughs> well, yeah. And you were talking about how we should, because because food is so many different things. It's a gesture of love. Mm-hmm. It's a sign of care and compassion when you make food for others. It's it's how we connect. And I know when I was on different diets, I'd be like, oh, I can't go out with my friends. I can't do this because there's going to be food there I can't eat. Mm-hmm. And it's so restricting. And you were telling me a story about, because you were on keto for a while. Way back, yeah. It was the last diet I was on before I stopped dieting. And you... There was a, a party and they were going to have pizza and you were like, oh, I can't go. Yeah, I can't even go. We have to, <laughs> we have to stay home and not even socialize because what am I going to do? If I was at home, I would just pick all the cheese off the top and not worry about the crust at the time. But I wouldn't go into, I wouldn't go to a party and do that and then have a whole piece of pizza crust sitting on my plate and I just ate, ate cheese. So we just wouldn't go. We're just not going, we're staying home. We're not socializing. We're not building relationships. We're, you know, we're not hanging out with our friends. We just stay home. And why? Not because that pizza crust was going to make me sick. It's not like I was going to have like anaphylactic shock or something. It's because of the size and shape of my body. It might, Mm -hmm. it might affect how I look. And so I'm not going to go. And we didn't. And it was horrible. It's absolutely horrible. (laughs) What was it that that got you to real to this point where you're like I'm I don't want to do this anymore? It was like was it that lo- was losing it. all those social react um social gatherings? It was um it my last diet before I went into intuitive eating was keto, and I I just had like it just it's kind of like was the rock bottom where I spent so much time consumed with food. I was, I was in the kitchen and I don't like science. And I was in the kitchen experimenting with like, I mean, I was just dying for something sweet. (laughs) I just wanted some cookies or something. And I'm in the kitchen trying to figure out how to make chocolate chip cookies out of coconut flour, almond flour, or, you know, all these things, chick, pea juice and everything (laughs) crazy and um I spent every day doing that and I was just like finally I just got to the point where it was like you know I'm not hanging around with any of my friends I'm spending all of my time consumed just just like almost like an animal on the hunt just trying to find something that was keto that made me feel like I was eating cake or brownies or cookies and, um, and I wasn't finding it. So it was just like becoming more and more desperate to find this answer. And, um, and then finally it was just like, I, I can't do this anymore. I just, I wasn't, this wasn't my purpose in life is to find them. You know, it's like probably how they tried to find vaccines and stuff, you know, it's like, no, i this isn't my purpose to find the replacement for a good old Nestle's Toll House cookie. Um, <laughs> and I just, it's almost like I just kind of like just imploded. It was like, I can't do it anymore. I'm not doing it. And I was reading some book. I don't even remember, remember now what it was. And it talked about intuitive eating. And so I looked into it and I was like, 
I got to try this. This is what I've got to do. Cause I was just like, it was so bad. It was just so bad. I mean, but Hey, on the bonus side, I looked really good. I looked awesome. <laughs> Everything else in my world was horrible, but I looked good. Mm-hmm. And, and I see it as you're kind of trading one slavery for, an, uh-huh. or you're enslaved. I was. Because yeah. you're, yeah, if you're, if you've, gained weight because you're eating so much and you just can't stop but then you're you're enslaved to counting calories or macros and all of that yes i yeah. was so so unhappy i was so unhappy and people were paying attention they were like oh my gosh you look great oh. and i'm like i'm starving mm. <laughs> i want some regular food you uh you also mentioned something called silver lining cycle um can you explain what that is that's what we were just talking about the progression of how uh, our thoughts lead to um our thoughts lead to our feelings and our feelings can dictate our behavior and then we're gonna we're going to get a result and that's mm. and I the reason I called it the silver lining is because we were trying to come up with a name for it the whole time I was writing my book and nothing was resonating at all. Finally, it was probably like the 10th time since I started writing my book some kind of situation would come up and I'd be like, "Well, at least there's a silver lining and that is da 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 or well, here's the silver lining to that situation. And then I was like, wait a minute, why would we call this, this, some people call it a thought loop. And I addressed in my book why I don't like calling it a thought loop. Um, and so I was like, we can call it the silver lining cycle because if you want to, you can find the silver lining. You just have to, because every situation is neutral until you attach a thought to it. If you really want to, it's not easy, not easy at all, but you can attach a positive thought and turn it into a silver lining. And then we addressed in my book, or I addressed in my book, some, you know, situations that happened with me that were far, far from silver linings. Um, But I still managed to find the bright side in situations. Um, So even though I say it's not easy, it can be done. It's hard. Sometimes it takes a long time, but I think just being open to the possibility that we can find something good if we, you know, if we try and over time, we can find something. Mm. Yeah. Attitude, like accepting what is, what we can't change and then working on what we can change. Mm -hmm. That's, that's definitely key. And I know, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because you do talk about the victim mentality and I had the victim mentality for so many years, um, where it's like, well, I can't change this. It's, you know, the world around me or Mm -hmm. it's what so-and-so did to me that this is the reason why I am where I am. And I mean, yeah, that might be. I might have eating issues because of what happened to me when I was younger, but there comes a a place where I have to work on it myself. I have to like accept it, what happened and move forward. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I had brought that up in my book with about the past is, mm-hmm. you know, we get to decide how much of it we want to bring into our current and our future lives and how we want to have it impact us. And, and some people just, and some people do decide, I mean, I'm in some groups of people who have um, suffered some of the same negative experiences that I've experienced. And some of them are just like, Oh, it's just, it's so bad. And I, I mean, for example, is I've mentioned in my book that we had a house fire and, um, there's some people that are like, well, I'm moving into my new house and I'm never going to love it. It's not my old house. I'm going to, you know, and it's like, I moved into my new house too. I love my new house because I want to love my new house. <laughs> you know, we had a fire. It lasted one day. And after that, I moved every single day. I moved away from that one day that we had our fire and I rebuilt my life and there were some silver linings and I'm not going to let that one day that was horrible for me stay with me and ruin today or tomorrow or the next day. I choose not to do that. Some people are more comfortable. Some people maybe need a little bit more help or support in learning how to do that. Um, But for me, I made it work. I, I sought out the resources that I needed and, and I chose not to relive that day over and over and over again. And only then, if you do that, that's the only way you can really move forward. Otherwise, you're just stuck where you are. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's like a lot of people who experience fire, if you're properly insured, oftentimes you do end up with a new house when it's done, you know, they rebuild whatever was damaged in my, in the people that I know, most of us ended up rebuilding completely. And it's like, sure. It's not the house that you had for however long that you had it, but now it's, it's a new house. It's like, for me, it was freeing because it was like, I'm always redoing stuff. So it was like, I don't have to paint anything. My husband doesn't have a to-do list. <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> the ceiling fans don't need to be replaced or, you know, everything is new and tidy and fresh. And that's the silver lining to the situation is, yeah, we went through hell to get there, but we came out of it on the other side with some things that were better than before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is definitely amazing to look at it in that that way. Yeah. I mean, at the time, it was like, I don't want to do this. This is going to be horrible. I have no idea how long it's going to take. It's going to hurt getting there. Um, We didn't live in our house. You know, it was we were displaced. It was horrible. When it was all said and done, I'm like, I would have rather paid in in money for a new house than paid in the emotional expense that I had to go through to get there. But at the end, the price was paid and now it's done. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Julie. This has been amazing. And so again, your book is called, If My Ass Were Smaller, Life Would Be Perfect. And other lies the mean girl in your head tells you. Yes. Where can people find the book? It is on Amazon in both um, ebook and paperback. 
And you have a website. I do. It's my name, julieglynn.com. And you have resources on the website that people can also use. That complement the book, yes. Right. Awesome. And then we're in the process. It's not set up yet, but I think there's a place where you can put your name in to be notified. Um, I'm creating kind of like a group program um, for intuitive eating. Mm, Kind of like um, there's so many questions, so many struggles and obstacles and, you know, things that people don't understand or they want to, you know, just additional support as opposed to trying to do it on your own. Um, so it's a, it's in process of being created and it'll be a group thing where we can all come together and be like, how do you handle this? Or what happens when you feel like that? Or this happened to me yesterday and I'm having a really hard time not beating myself up for it. Um, that kind of stuff. Yes. And we need that. We need that support. Yes. Yeah. So that is, that is such a great thing you're doing, Julie. Thank you so much. Thank you. I actually have a copy to give away of If My Ass Were Smaller, Life Would Be Perfect, and Other Lies a Mean Girl in Your Head Tells You. If you want to win a copy of that book, check my social media in a few days, and you'll be able to win a copy. Thank you so much, Julie, for coming on. This was just such an amazing topic. Uh, Something I struggle with, and I think most of us do, mostly females, but men too. And it's such an important thing to talk about, for sure. Just a few more episodes until the end of season one, and then I'm going to take a break until we get into season two. So next episode, I will be really exciting. I'm going to be speaking with Tracy Lamore, who is a publicist here in Canada, but she has clients all over the world, and we're talking about authenticity, which is such a great topic. We all want to be more authentic, don't we? We're tired of the fakeness of everything. So go ahead, hit that subscribe, rate, and click, 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 review. You can say stuff is awesome, or you can say stuff is a dork, and all of those would probably be true. And uh, thank you so much for listening. You guys are awesome. So go out there and make it a great day. Bye.